Last week we looked at one little section. This week we're looking at four bigger sections. And so uh, really what we're doing is the last couple weeks we've been in this micro, right? Really close up, looking at Jesus' interaction with people. And this week we kind of step back and we take in a few of those similar interactions. And then we ask, what is Jesus doing? Like, what is the point of all of these things? Yeah, that, those, that's good news for the man who was deaf and dumb. He, he got to hear and to be able to speak, and it changed his life radically. Is that the fullness of what we see Jesus doing? It, it's good news for the woman who had the issue of blood, who was healed, and it changed her life forever. But is there more to the story? And what we're seeing is that as Jesus is, is now going into Gentile territory with his disciples, they got questions. They've, they're confused. They're trying to figure out what does it look like to be a disciple of Christ? What is discipleship? So I'm thinking through like, what are, what are the, what's the sermon title um, this week? And so I've got all these things going through my head, and if you were like me and you grew up, uh, I was born in 80, so in 93 when Ace of Base saw this, I saw the sign came out, that was one of them, and I was like, ah, oh, that's, that's horrible, don't do that one. Um, and then, you know, all these other things, like maybe if you're a young kid, discipleship question mark, because you guys like to pronounce your uh, punctuation, um, you know, just different ways, like what, what are we talking about here? No, today we're talking about signs of the kingdom. Listen, we, we need to set ourselves in that place. This kingdom that Jesus is talking about, that, that when he, his first words in Mark are that, be ready. Look, the kingdom of God is at hand. Mark 1, 14 and 15, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Today we're talking about what are the signs of the kingdom. I always forget to introduce myself uh, as I come up here, and it doesn't matter, all of you know me, but I need to get into some, some better habits because hopefully God's going to keep bringing people that don't know me. Um, but before I was Pastor Joel, I was Coach Joel. Maybe. I don't know. I guess it depends on how you look at it in the grand scheme of God and his foreknowledge of me. Anyways, but I participated as Coach Joel, and I still get to do that. So I coach baseball. And so as I'm reading signs, I'm thinking, I got, I got signs. Like, like what's one? If I, give, if I tell the catcher to give the sign one, he gives the sign one so that the pitcher knows what to pitch and the catcher knows what's coming. One, hopefully we don't have any other coaches in our league listening to the podcast, but one's a fastball. All right? Two's a slider and three's a changeup so that we know what is coming. And then we have other signs where there's base runners Okay, and, and as a third base coach, I'm the one that would give the signs to the guy that's on first that, that either he needs to steal, and I'm also giving signs to the batter, you need to bunt, and we have a series of signs that we go over through, and they're watching me to get the signs of what's coming next. The, the disciples had been given all that they need to know of the signs of the kingdom of God that would come. They knew scripture. It had been laid out before them. 
They had all of the knowledge that they needed to understand that, hey, when this Jesus comes and he, be, he comes and he starts to do these things that we, we've been told would happen, that's the sign of the Messiah, the kingdom of God being at hand. Jesus speaks about the kingdom in Luke. Luke 17, 20 through 21. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. You see, they had this, think, this thought process that when the kingdom of God would come, it would displace the other kingdoms that they knew of. But God, in establishing His kingdom, is establishing a kingdom that is unlike any other kingdom and that actually consumes all of these other kingdoms. Because the kingdom of God is not in Rome. The kingdom of God is not here or there. It's not in Jerusalem. The kingdom of God is in our midst. And what we're going to see today is Him continuing to walk these disciples through seeing the signs that, hey, I am the Messiah. I'm the one that you've longed for. And even though you don't see it yet, I pray that you would. One of the signs that they had been given is Isaiah. And we looked last week at Isaiah 35, which was beautiful. Like this idea of Jesus opening the ears of the deaf. And in Isaiah 61, again, some more of the signs. This is the, the good news of the day of the Lord. What does that look like? Isaiah 61, 1 through 3 says this. The Spirit of the Lord, is upon, the, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them beautiful headdresses instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness." The planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. That's what, the, that's what they meditated on. That's what they had in their hearts. That's what, the, what they had from God. The scripture that had been revealed to them. And now they see Jesus. And he comes and he's liberating the captives. He's setting p- people free from demonic uh, uh, possession. He's, he's healing the broken. He's meeting the poor in the places that they are. He's providing everything that they need, and they're, they're still missing it. And so Jesus is patient and kind with the disciples, even though they've been given this sign of who the Messiah is. Let's pray this morning, because just like these disciples, we need our ears opened, our eyes opened, so that we would be able to see Jesus, the lover of our souls, and, like, and, and experience Him and know Him. God, we thank you. You are too kind. You are altogether good. You are righteous and perfect. You love us corporately and you love us individually. Lord, all of these things are true. And so we just thank you, God. We thank you for your word that you preserve for us that That is true, Lord. And yet, the only way that we would believe, just like the disciples, is through faith. Faith, which is a gift that you give us. And so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you've opened our eyes. Given us ears to hear. Given us mouths to proclaim your goodness. 
God, we pray that that proclamation would be taking place this morning in Palm Bay. That you would be high and lifted up. We pray that it would happen in Pineda. God, we pray that it would happen in, in other churches throughout the world where your, your good news is being spoken. That people would hear and believe it and their lives would be changed. God, begin here with us. Remind us again of the good news of our salvation, the joy of our salvation. God, and may that change the way that we live, just like we talked about in the prayer confession, that our lives are not our own, but they've purchased by you, and so we live in you. God, will we go out with that? When I pray that there are places where they're not even gathering um, as a congregation, and yet you are, you are speaking your word. And so, Lord, I pray that you would be glorified today. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Before we uh, jump into kind of that discipleship piece, there's two pieces of our story today. They're, they're the bookends. So in the beginning, you have the feeding of the 4,000. At the end, you have the healing of the blind man. And so we just want to look at those because while they're very similar to some of the other stories, and, and in fact, you look at the 4,000 and you're like, wait a second, is this just like, Somebody miscounted the first time with the 5,000 and now we need to repeat the story. No, it's, it's a different story. And there are similarities, but what, what Jesus is doing, he's doing the same thing. He's walking through and he's coming and he's fulfilling the signs that have been given to a people that this is the Messiah, this is the Christ, this is the one who would come. Verses 1 through 10 Walk through the feeding of the 4,000. Listen, like I said, it's a very similar thing, and yet the difference is it's a different people. The feeding of the 5,000 happens to the, in, in Jewish Galilee. To people that would have heard and known that they have a great God, Jehovah Jireh, the one who provides. Right? And so they're seeing it, and they're hearing it, and they're like, Wow. The people in the Decapolis where this is happening don't have any of that history. They haven't been taught those things. They don't know. All they're seeing is this Jesus man, he meets my need. Like we've been out here three days and we're starving. We're so hungry. And then all of a sudden, Jesus provides what we didn't have. And that's good news. That's awesome and radical for those people. But you know who it's even more radical for? The disciples. Because they're like, wait a second. Jesus, this, the healing and the works and the things that you're supposed to be doing, you're supposed to be doing for our people. And Jesus has walked them through that and, and they heard the woman who said, even the dogs get the crumbs. And they, they saw him meet her in that moment and now they're saying, wait a second. 4,000 people getting the crumbs, like the bread, like literal crumbs of bread, getting them together and they're eating and they're feasting. A people who didn't deserve it. A people who had no knowledge that, that actually we're, we're getting the Messiah today. We're getting the chosen one, the one who would come. And you would think that, hey, the disciples already saw this. So why would they get into why would they begin to despair that Jesus hasn't provided? Wouldn't wouldn't John just go, hey Jesus, why don't you just do that same thing you did last time with the five thousand people? 
Well, that would be awfully presumptuous, right? I mean, like, like they're still trying to figure this out. We don't know what he's going to do. And when he does stuff, it's scary. So many times Jesus has done the miracle and people are in awe and fear and amazement, right? And so the disciples don't know what's coming. And yet they see Jesus again meeting the people in their place of need. He asked them, how many loaves do you have? In verse 5. They said seven, and he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took seven loaves, and having given thanks, listen, that's key. Jesus is not, never operates in and of himself. He always knows who has sent him. He always knows that he has been sent by the Father to meet the needs of a people who desperately need a Savior. And so he doesn't just do it. He gives thanks. He says, thank you, God. Thank you, Father, for this provision to your people of bread, and of food, and of fish. I had a few small fish in verse 7. He blessed them, right? Same thing. God, thank you. Bless this food. And set it before them. And they ate and were satisfied. There's something there that we need to grab onto and say, man, there's a satisfaction in eating and receiving what God has for me. That's going to satisfy more than anything else in my life. So why do I run to these other things for satisfaction? Because we forget. There's no, there's no condemnation for that. Because we are in, if you are in Christ, there's no condemnation for forgetting. There's just a simple call and a reminding to say, don't forget. Remember what I've done for you. Remember who I am. I've provided everything that you need. Don't run anywhere else. It's foolish. I'm here. I'm present. And so in this first passage, we have this beautiful provision to a people that were once outside, and yet now Jesus is going to Gentiles like you and I and meeting us in our place of need. The, the end, we have another beautiful, more, more micro, more focused view. Verse 22 they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Again, there's so many echoes, right? What about the lame man whose friends had to bring him and lower him down through the roof so that he would be healed? So there's this, there's this faith in action. Sometimes it's our faith. Sometimes it's faith of the brothers. But Jesus responds to faith. And he heals and he meets the needs. And so they bring him, and again, Jesus takes the blind man by the hand, and he leads him out of the village, because just like the man who was deaf and dumb, he, was, he had been a spectacle. And Jesus doesn't want to put on a show. He wants to meet a need. And so in that moment, he goes to the man, and he leads him out of the village. He has to lead him, because he's blind. <laughs> the tenderness of Jesus, in that moment, to grab that man by the hand, who is again considered unclean. Like we don't understand that because it's not our culture, but this is big deal. Anytime Jesus would touch somebody because the belief was that that unclean uh, aspect would then be transferred to the person who was clean. Jesus is God. And so instead, when he touches somebody, his righteousness and perfection, his being clean is actually transferred to them. And so Jesus takes him outside and he leads him out of the village and he spits and then he touches his eyes. And this one you're like, 
wait a second, this is weird. Why didn't it work the first time? Because it's like, read it with me. He says, do you see anything at the end of verse 23? And he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. And before you start thinking Lord of the Rings with like the Ent and stuff. Yeah, I know. I know. No, it's just fuzzy. They're, they're still fuzzy. He's not hallucinating. He just doesn't have his vision fully restored yet. And you're like, wait a sec. So Jesus didn't do it perfectly? He didn't fix them? But continue reading. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Now, this one isn't for the man. It is, because he gets his sight. But there's a process that's going on here that, that the disciples are seeing. Right? These disciples that have been following Jesus, they're seeing him, and they're like, man, there's something there. There's something there. And he sent them home saying, do not even enter the village. Listen, so what we have are these bookend, beautiful miracles of Jesus. They are just fantastic. They're the things that we've been seeing him do everywhere. They're the signs. Remember Isaiah 35? Listen, this is 700 years before Christ. They're given the signs. Isaiah 35, 5-7. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And they shall, then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water, and the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. Listen, this is what it means when the kingdom of God is entering in. This is what it looks like. This is what Isaiah is prophesying 700 years before this is happening. And here it is. The eyes of the blind are being opened. The ears of the deaf are being unstopped. The tongue of the mute sings for joy. These are the signs that are coming to tell that Christ is here. So, Jesus provider, Jesus healer. Then we move into 11 and 13. 11 through 13. <clears throat> Pharisees show up again. Jesus is back in, uh, he's moved back into Galilee, into the, the, the Jewish people, and the Pharisees show up again. Before we jump and condemn, condemn the Pharisees, we need to hear that, that they're a lot like us. Okay? They're a lot like us. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. The, the wording of that is very similar to uh, Jesus in the desert, in the wilderness, and Satan actually comes and he tests Jesus. So this is strong language that Mark is using. Strong language about a people. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign to test him, and he sighed deeply in his spirit. Listen, last week when he sighed, in the brokenness of the deaf and mute man who couldn't speak, he knew he, he, there's something that's going to come, that's going to happen, that he's going to walk through that will be the ultimate source of deliverance for a people that need delivering. And so there's this 
there's a sigh before we think that it's frustration that people don't get it. It's also this reality of, no, this is broken. And I've come to fix it. But in this moment, it's still broken. So I'm I'm grieving. The sigh leads to the question, why does this generation seek a sign? Particularly the Pharisees. What more signs do you need? You have all of Scripture. You have all of the story of God, of how He created And how there would be one who would come and restore a kingdom unlike any other kingdom. And I'm telling you that I'm here to restore that kingdom. That that kingdom is at hand. And you can look and you can see Isaiah's prophecies and all the prophets. And you can see that I'm him. What more signs do you need? Why do you seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. He left them and got into the boat again and went to the other side. 1 Peter 1, 8-9 says this, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see, there's this idea that we don't see Him. And they've missed Him. But, but even if they miss Him in that moment, God is working to open their eyes. Some people, he walks up and he heals, and immediately they're completely healed. The deaf man, he put his fingers in his ear, and he he can hear. The blind man, he comes and he puts his hands on him, and then it's this slower process. The first time he does it, it's fuzzy. The second time he does it, it's wide open. Listen, there's this... There's this idea that sometimes God in His providence and and sovereign work will immediately do something. And sometimes it will be this process where your eyes are opened slowly. And so for the disciples in this moment, they're beginning to see that. That their eyes are being slowly opened. These are the people that have the signs, the Pharisees. They know the prophets that Jesus is quoting. They're supposed to be hoping and waiting. Like that's what they've been assigned to do. To hope and to wait. To look for the one who would come to fulfill the, the, the prophecies. But listen, what do they ask for? They ask for another sign. I have a, something hard for us today. If our faith is based, if our faith is based on evidence, then it's not faith. Because Hebrews 1, Hebrews 11, 1 describes, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. What are they supposed to be doing? They're supposed to be hoping and waiting and looking. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We have a problem. We want to see, just like the Pharisees. We want to see. God, I want you to give me another sign that you're with me, that, you, that you've done everything that you say that you've done. And sometimes, in His grace and kindness, He will. But often, He will say, what more do you need? You have everything. You have Jesus. You have the fulfillment of all Scripture. What more could you possibly need? You know what we need? We need to know the Scripture. We need to know it. We need to believe it. We need to have faith. Not more signs. 
Even as we say we must have faith, we must remember that the gift of faith is a spiritual gift. The Holy Spirit comes and he gives us the gift of faith. So we can't conjure it up. We can't get enough evidence for it. If we have it, it is a gift. And so we should rejoice in that and then pray that God would give that gift to others. Beseech, like cry out, God, would you save? Would you give them a soft heart where all I see is a hardened heart? Would you give them a heart of flesh where all there is a heart of stone? Parents, this is the prayer that we need to pray for our children. Because all of our good techniques of parenting, all of our being a really good friend to those that are our neighbors, will not save them. They need the gift of faith that only the Holy Spirit can give. What do we do? We cry out. God, would you do that? God, would you stir my faith? Would you give me the gift of belief? Even more so, so that they would see where I walk in faith and not by sight whether that's my coworkers or my, my friends at school, whatever it is, those that we're praying for, God, would you give me the gift of faith so that when they see me walk by faith, they would know of a good God who gives good things to his people, who has given himself the greatest gift ever. We must remember that, that we walk by faith, not by sight. So you have this, these beautiful miracles. You have what is defined as unbelief, and then what do we finally have in this passage from 14 through 21? We just have this growing belief. A growing belief. Let's read that together. Now they had forgotten to bring bread. They had only one loaf with them in the boat. Why is that funny? Do I need to answer that? Like, why is that funny? Seven baskets full and you forget to bring more than one loaf? Like, that's crazy. There's 12, maybe 12. I don't know how many are with them at the time, but come on, guys. Like, but maybe they're just like, hey, we're just with Jesus, and we know he can do it, so we'll just, <laughs> just wait. But the beauty of it is, you know, the disciples, their, their thoughts, their worries, their fears often revolve around their bellies. Can we just say amen to that? Like, that's us, right? So... So there's good news for us. There's hope for us that if our lives are revolving around our bellies, we are like the disciples. Um, and, and hopefully I'm not going to go long because then the bellies will get louder. But um, just this idea that like they're, they're just humans. They're just humans. There's nothing special about these guys. They're hungry. They only got one loaf. There's a bunch of them. They're probably, you know, starting to figure out, hey, who needs this more? Some of them are like, hey, I'm bigger, so obviously I need more. Like, just, if you have brothers or sisters, you know what I'm talking about. So there's this internal humanity, just this wrestling that's going on. And in the midst of it, Jesus says, uh, he cautioned them saying, hey, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. They're talking about very practical things, and Jesus is coming in with a very spiritual thing. Say, listen, and, okay, you guys are talking about bread. Let me talk to you about something. Listen, if you don't know what leaven is, leaven is something that you work into bread, and you only need a little bit of it. And as it gets worked into the bread, it moves throughout the bread, and it creates this radical change in the bread, and it raises the bread, and it, 
makes it light and fluffy and beautiful eventually. And so this little thing creeps in. Often when Jesus talks about leaven, it's in the negative sense. But it only takes a little bit of it to affect the whole of it. And so what does he say? He says, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. Beware of unbelief. We just talked about that. The Pharisees had this unbelief in the signs that they'd been given. They wanted more. They were a religious people who did not believe. Herod is this non-religious man, unless he wants to be. He kind of adapts to all the different things that are going on. He's kind of the every man. Sometimes when he's dealing with Jews, he's a Jew. And sometimes when he's dealing with Romans, he's a Roman. But really, he's just a pretender. But Herod is, this, is an unbeliever also. But he is not a religious unbeliever. He's an irreligious unbeliever. And so Jesus is pointing and he's saying, Listen, you disciples, you people that I have invested in, beware of that unbelief that would creep in. Because once it starts to creep in, it begins to move into all things. As soon as you begin to think that it's your belief as soon as you begin to think that you've gathered enough evidence to satisfy what is right intellect, as soon as you begin to think, well, now I'm starting to walk in some good things, so I've, I've earned it or I've done it. And whether you have a, 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 a payment before or maybe a payment after, well, Jesus saved me, so now I have to go and do all of these right things to earn that salvation. Listen, anything outside of Christ and Christ alone is unbelief. It's believing in something other than his atonement, his work, his cost that he's paid. And so Jesus is pulling them aside. He's saying, listen, get your heads out of your stomach. Right? There's, a, there's a, a real fear here that if you didn't see it when I spoke to the Pharisees, you need to know that it's for you too. Beware. Watch out. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. They began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. <laughs> Jesus mentioned something about bread, and suddenly they're back. They're spinning on bread. This is, this is hilarious. Like, this is our reality. <laughs> we will come to church after spinning about stuff. We'll hear something really good, and then we'll go and spin about that stuff again. Is that not true? That's true, right? We do it. And so Jesus is really patient and kind with these disciples. It says, and they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, 12. Listen, that's the first time. 12 is a significant number in the Old Testament in particular because 12 is the, the tribes of Benjamin. It is the people of God. And so he's saying, listen, I have, I have abundantly more than they need. Abundantly more than anybody needs. 
And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. Seven is the number of perfection. When you look throughout the Bible, seven is this beautiful, full, all-consuming, perfect number. Jesus' provision is perfect. It is sufficient for everything that you need. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? The one small word in that sentence that's actually been used twice, both times that he's talked about perceiving and understanding. What's the small word? Can anybody? Yet. 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 There's understanding that is taking place, but it hasn't happened yet. It's not reaching its fullness. Listen, next week we're going to look and we're going to see what Peter's response to who is Jesus. And he's going to say, you're the Messiah. So there's this growing understanding of what is happening, but it's not yet. The same thing when Jesus heals the man that's blind. He lifts his hand and says, do you see? He says, I see like fuzzy trees, so not yet. And then he removes it again, and now he sees perfectly, clearly. I think this is just beautiful for us. We don't have to have it perfect yet. God is working by his grace and his sovereign will to open our eyes. To give us understanding. To help us to perceive. We have this gift of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we don't even, we, we haven't seen it through all of its many facets and its beauty, but we've seen enough to know that is awesome. I'm going to cling to that and that alone. And I'm going to forget and then I'm going to have to come back and I'm going to need you to remind me. Listen, as we circle back to seeing signs, there's a call today to belief. To believe that this is true. By faith that you would walk in these things. That you would say, God, that's true. And I know that it hasn't fully happened yet, but I see the evidence that it is taking place. Thank you, Jesus. To our baseball analogy, the one thing that we've been given as the church, we've been given the Holy Spirit. As I relay signs across the diamond to the man on first base, he has another person with him. He has a first base coach. And I've been gifted in coaching to have incredible first base coaches. It's, it's awesome. But what that, what that first base coach does is he watches the signs too. And then he says, hey, did you get that? Did you pick that up? Are you ready? Do you know what you're doing? You got the sign. Be ready. Because he can speak to him. He can interpret the signs for him. He can encourage him to be ready and to get ready to go. And so we have been given the Holy Spirit of God to go with us wherever we go that we don't have to interpret the signs for ourselves. He speaks to us through His Word and through His Spirit. And they're always going to say the same thing. They're both of God. Today we have a call to belief. Belief in this gospel. Romans 1, 16 and 17 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for, to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Beautiful. We've seen it over the last couple of weeks. 
For it is the righteousness of God, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. All of it. The gift that you've been given is faith. To have more faith. So that you would walk by faith. Trusting in things that we don't see, but that we've been given truth about. And then we have the Holy Spirit that reveals these signs to us, that interprets the signs for us, that motivates and encourages us, us, encourages us with right motivation. The motivation that would seek God's glory that would also be our good, but in that order. The Spirit that empowers us to follow the signs, to walk in the way of the King. And so we are ambassadors of that King. Filled with the Spirit, filled with His Word, going to speak this good news to people that need to hear it. And the good news is that the, the people that need to hear that good news are right here. We got to begin here. We got to speak that good news to each other. And then everywhere we go, we need to speak that same good news to people so that they would hear the Word of God. Romans 10 8 through 13, and I want to leave you with this. This is the call today, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Today, if that's for you, I pray that you would hear that call. Today, maybe you have somebody in your mind that you're thinking, man, I need to actually go and speak to that person. I need to be explicit with this good news, not just uh, uh, good, good deeds that they might misinterpret that I'm a good person because that would just lead them to a false understanding. But I need to be explicit with them and say, no, anything good you see in me is Jesus. Because He has saved me because I have called upon the name of the Lord and He has saved me. So today I pray that that would be true for all of us. And then I pray that we would go out and we would speak that truth by the power of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God dwelling inside of us as the church together. All of it to the glory of God. Amen? God, we thank You. I pray that even as we, as we hear these things today that there would be no shame or condemnation because we have failed to walk in them, but there would be this ongoing Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God would speak to us and say, hey, now... Remember that person? There's a sign. Go and, go and talk to them. That you would encourage us and motivate us. To, or maybe it's us today that your Holy Spirit is, is speaking, reminding us that, that you love us. That there's no way that we could be outside of your ability to save. And all we need is, is this... In, in, the regenerated heart to confess and speak and to believe. God, would you do that today for your glory?
Lord, would you save? And for those that are saved, Lord, would we be reminded today of how sweet it is. How sweet it is to know that Jesus has saved us, redeemed us, pulled us out of the miry clay, set our feet upon the rock, and drawn us to Himself, given us His Spirit, and is preparing a place for us. All because of the the beautiful death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the one who has come and saved. We trust you for these things today. In Jesus' name, amen.